Good morning, 49ers. Wake up is with you once again after another rousing win over Tampa Bay. The 49ers look back on a very much contending track. An unbelievable day from Brock Purdy. A fantastic day from Brandon Ayuk. Defense might have bent, never broke. And what a game we have to talk about. Good morning, 49ers fans. You should feel good today. Good, good way to start a Thanksgiving week. A lot to be thankful for, Larry. Thankful for you. Good morning, you sexy creature at 8 a.m. At, at, uh, on a Monday. Well, let me just start off by saying before I, uh, you know, lose all street cred in the in the Kruger uh, humble abode. Happy birthday to my wife, Amy. And uh, she's more beautiful today than the day I, I married her. Um, and she uh, gave me four wonderful children. And uh, today we will be celebrating. Um, her birthday by having the whole family together. Anna's home from college. Kevin's home from college. You know, uh, everybody's off school. Unlike you, unlike the old days where Damon, we went Monday and Tuesday and half day Wednesday on Thanksgiving and got Thursday and Friday off. Now schools have the whole week off. Let's, let's get the heck out of here. So, uh, so the kids are off school and the college kids are home and we're going to hang out with mom this afternoon and celebrate, uh, her lap around the sun. Happy birthday, Amy, without a doubt. Uh, it was so great that she showed up for a little plus mania too. It was great to have you both there, Larry. Everyone was so happy to meet her and I'm glad that all Krugers have been assembled. <laughs> That's right. That's great. I mean, that's what Thanksgiving's all about, getting the family around the table. And now that I got kids, I understand it in ways I used to not. You know, it's it's fun. It's it's one thing to be a kid at the table. It's entirely different to be the parent running the table that the kids come back to. And that's when you start to like, oh, okay, this is what matters in life. <laughs> and it all it all happens like that. Um, so look, good feelings all around, and why not? What a win for the 49ers what a day for Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy and you know we always start Larry with just the facts well some of the facts surrounding the statistical accomplishments and the measurements that I mean look let's face it I don't think anyone even Brock last night went to the podium he was asked about passer rating he's like I really don't understand it I don't think any of us right, do. Right. I don't think any of us can come up with the formula that gives a perfect score of 158.3 or wh whatever the hell it is, whatever a perfect passer rating score is, uh, boy, he has done it. Um, in the past two weeks, these are just the facts, Larry. In the past two weeks against the Jags and the Bucks, Purdy has gone 40 of 51 for wow. an average of 315 passing yards with six touchdowns, no interceptions, and he's averaging better than 12 yards per attempt. These are significant numbers. These are Mahomesian. These are top shelf liquor numbers for any quarterback in any system, with any coach, with any amount of talent around them. These are the sorts of numbers that you produce in video games in back-to-back -back weeks more often than you do on an actual NFL field. He's been incredible. He's been absolutely outstanding. Um, and, you know, it's funny. You know, some of these press conferences, a lot of times it's just like an exercise in futility. You know, we ask some questions, they give us kind of pat answers and, you know, everybody writes their article or does their YouTube show or goes and does their radio or television show. We all move on and that's it. 
um, occasionally something truly, in, you know, interesting and relevant gets broached. And I didn't even, sometimes you don't even realize it when you're, when you're hearing it, Damon, it's like, you know, we're so like kind of conditioned for the exercises, media people, like we're going to ask this question they're going to give us that answer. We're going to jot it down. We're going to, you know, it's like everybody's so beaten down, but listening to George Kittle last night at the podium, he called attention to a question that I had asked Brock on Thursday and that he felt it was really significant and he loved to hear Brock's answer. I'm going to, I'm going to play this for you real quick here. So you guys can hear this. This is, um, this is from Thursday's presser. And I asked Purdy just a basic question, which is, you know, how do you balance it? How do you balance uh, the mindset of like what Kyle's been telling him lately? I'm sure coming out of the bye week, take care of the ball, take care of the ball. Don't turn it over and then not play timidly or fearfully and still kind of let it rip. Like, let it rip, but don't let it rip to the other team. You know what I mean? Right. Rip, but don't dare turn it over. And it's like, and, and there's so much on the line. You get the ball in your hands. You're a quarterback and you got to balance this whole mindset of, man, I got to play the way I played to, to, you know, have the success I've had leading up to this point in my career, high school, college, and then early in the pros. And yet I can't turn it over. So I asked him about it and, and listen to this little exchange here. And tell me, Brock, how do you balance? How do you balance? You know the the mindset of stay aggressive versus be patient, take care of the football, and be you know take the check down. How do you balance that and still stay aggressive? Yeah, um, I mean it's a it's a mindset. I'd say you know um, just playing without fear. You know the fear of failure is something that you know I feel like I've learned um, over the years, especially in college. Um, you know, if you go out there and have that mentality of I don't want to mess up then you start playing timid and then you're, you know, obviously not playing like yourself, like you have growing up your whole life with that competitive edge. So that's one thing that I've, I've learned for sure is, to, uh, you know, try to take out fear, throw it out the window and play clear minded, play like a surgeon, you know, do what Kyle's asking of me. Um, but being smart with the ball at the same time, but also having the, the mentality of, you know, playing fearless and, um, that doesn't mean play reckless, but be smart with the ball, play within the offense and scheme. If something happens where it's off schedule, you know, play ball. So uh, I'm still learning that, honestly, but um, I feel like that's, that's how I look at it right now. Really good answer there from, from Purdy. I thought the best part of that, Damon, was the truthful part of I'm still working on it, man. You know, it's like it's not like I've arrived at a place and now I'm here and it will all be fine. It's like this is a constant battle and I'm still working at you know, letting it rip by, but at the same time, being cognizant of take care of the ball. And to me, that's his, you know, kind of value proposition in a nutshell right there. It's like, that's what he needs to do to break through from nice little story to this guy is the legitimate long-term quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers that can and will win them Super Bowls in the future. More than more than humility, which is easy to hear there, I hear accountability. And I like that very much in a quarterback. I like yeah. someone who is accountable for their mistakes and and understands that an awful lot of the game's fortune lays in the decisions that they make from their position. And they have a responsibility to make the right decisions. A couple of weeks ago, when things were going wrong for the Niners and they had lost three in a row. 
and he had thrown the handful of interceptions over those games, you made a point that I completely agreed with when you basically said every coach has an easier job reeling in the aggressive than trying to coach aggressive into someone who is a little bit more gun shy and not to just compare Brock Purdy to Jimmy Garoppolo. But I think that there's an awful lot of boy. That's the teeter totter that both of those guys are on. Isn't it? Garoppolo was afraid to make the mistake and played accordingly. Purdy is not afraid to make a mistake. He's conscious of it. He is accountable for it. He's not afraid of it though. And he understands that in order, in order to make money, sometimes you need to gamble. He has won on some bad bets that he made that first Jacksonville touchdown, right? He threw that thing is breaking all the Cardinal rules of quarterbacking, but I, caught it. So no harm, no foul, but he understands that that's one of his worst throws of the day. And Kyle finally has the, the ball of clay that is just moldable. I mean, it's perfect. This guy and Kyle seem to be as, working together in harmony as some of the best quarterback and coaching combinations that we can remember. They seem to be completely on the same page. And that's why some, some unbelievable statistics and moments are being produced early, so early in a career, so early in a career. And I think the biggest theme of my show yesterday, Larry, was simply like, if this is just the start of it, like, where could this go? <laughs> what if, for real, what we're looking at is something that is not a, a flash in the pan of a year or two, but this turns into, you know, a five, six, seven years of this? That would be one of the single greatest finds in discovery in sports history with the final pick of the draft. And I just think that we now need to completely get over the fact of where he was drafted. It doesn't matter. It's where he sits in the hierarchy of actual NFL quarterbacks right now. Are there still some hurdles he is yet to clear? Yeah, you could say that those are the same hurdles that Kyle Shanahan still has to clear, proving that they can win a game trailing by more than eight in the fourth quarter. But they're also a team that's in a situation where they're not in that situation very much, which is a blessing. So you shouldn't be rooting for that hard game to come around as much as you should be rooting for this team to come out with a first, second, and third quarter game plan that kind of turned the fourth quarter into a snooze fest. And they got the talent to do that, man. This is this is an unbelievable beginning. And uh, again, just the facts, Larry, just the facts through Sunday's game. He is the first NFL quarterback with, uh, he, he's, he's first in NFL QBR. He's first in passer rating. He's first in yards per attempt. He's third in completion percentage. He's tied for fifth in touchdown passes, and he's sixth in passing yards per game. These are all the important statistics for a quarterback, and he is in the top six in all of them. So what are we looking at? We're, we're looking at a guy who yesterday joined a conversation that was Joe, Steve, and no one. Now it's Joe, Steve, and Brock in terms of perfect passer rating. And it's just... It's, it's been amazing. fun to watch. It really has. Amazing thing. Um, <clears throat> the only thing I'll disagree with what you said there is I don't think that Garoppolo himself played timid. I think Garoppolo played loose. I think Kyle coached timid. 
with Garoppolo. Um, I think Kyle didn't, you know, look at the way when the Niners, you know, you go back to the first 2019 playoff game um, and Garoppolo threw a couple of really bad passes early in that game. Kyle just took the ball completely out of his hands for the next two playoff games. He just said, oh, my God, this is my quarterback and I want to go to the Super Bowl. And so I'm going to coach I'm going to coach him by just running Raheem Mostert. And, I, you know, I'm just going to run and run and run some more. I think they had nine total passes in like two games and they got to the Super Bowl. And no, you know, look, I, I understand the point you're making, but I've also now seen Jimmy in another uniform and in another situation. And oddly, you know, it wasn't a very good situation. Everything went well, he's wrong. Just not, yeah, he's just not. Very good. I mean, he's, he's just middle of the road, period. Right, but uh, I don't. I, I think he's not even in Brock Purdy's weight class as an NFL quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was and it was clear. You know, it's funny. There, Jimmy was very popular in the room, of course, with the guys, and uh, Kittle and Husecheck were two of his best friends, and they never wanted to say anything negative about Jimmy, and really wouldn't because they really had loyalty as friends. You know, beyond it superseded football and that kind of thing. But man, when you know the games started to you know string together towards the end of the year and Kittle kept putting up these historic numbers, you know, I think he had to acknowledge. And, and I think juice did too, that, you know, even though they love Jimmy and Jimmy was their friend, that this rookie who had been thrust into the action in week 13, only because of an injury was actually better. And they, they knew it. They absolutely knew it. But what we've seen recently from Brock, you know, the, the part that I think is the most laughable, was this off-season Trey Lance fan notion that Brock could not improve, that he was what we saw was a polished, finished product, and there was not going to be any improvement in year two. And that was always based on nonsense. Um, Everybody improves, and you improve the most in the NFL from year one to year two. And especially if you're playing kind of a cerebral position, like either inside backer or quarterback, if you're wearing the green dot on defense or if you're part of the decision-making process on offense, I mean, the improvement curve is significant from year one to year two. And for people to come out last year in the offseason or this offseason and be like, yeah, Jimmy, I mean, uh, Brock can't get any better. It's like, dude, stop, just quit giving opinions on football altogether because you're wrong in like one of the most core um, elements of professional football. And you're so, so unbelievably wrong that you just need to shut up. I mean, it's just like, it's really bad. And so that to me was the most um, uh, offensive take of the off season, which is that Brock Purdy, a 23 year old kid who does nothing but work at his craft and thinks football around the clock couldn't get better. And I remember when I asked him that question in May at the mini camp, I said, Brock, Describe where you're at right now inside Kyle's offense compared to where you were at last May. And he's like, oh, my God. He was like, he, he was like, Krug, it's all night and day. Last year, I literally walked to the line of scrimmage in May. You call you Krug? You say, Krug, Krug. I think he might have said Krug. because right. he, he, but, he, but he's like, you know what? I walked to the line of scrimmage, and I'm like, I, you know, I didn't even, couldn't even remember the plays. You know, I, I, I could barely spit them out with the verbiage. Now it's like I know nuances of coverage and what I'm looking for and key elements pre-snap, um, you know, what how they react to the shift, how they react to a potential motion, 
um, the coverage, the, you know, what side we're sliding the line, the, the protection, everything. There's so many elements that I have down now that I'm so far advanced. And just hearing that question or hearing that answer, I remember thinking, wow, you know, this guy is going to be quite a bit better this year. And what we saw yesterday, Damon, he became the first 49er quarterback and only the 22nd quarterback in the history of the NFL to finish with that 158.3 perfect passer rating with a minimum of 25 attempts. And it's just amazing. 333 yards yesterday, 21 of 25 for three touchdowns, no picks, second week in a row, no picks. And you just mentioned over his last two games, he's completed 78% with six touchdowns and no picks going up against Jacksonville and Tampa, two defenses that are right there among the league lead at takeaways, and he didn't give it away one time. And he started the day by throwing four incomplete passes and taking a a sack in the first drive and then didn't miss a beat, finished 21 of 25. So, I mean, the guy guy right now is playing at a a really, really high level. Um, I think, you know, so many of the Eagles, Damon, took um, the 49er dialogue after the NFC Championship game as like disrespectful, but it really wasn't disrespectful. I looking back at it and talking to some of the players, it was their belief in Brock Purdy and their belief in what they could potentially do with Brock Purdy that fueled those comments. It wasn't like, ah, the Eagles suck and we can't come to grips with the fact that they beat us. It was that, Hey, you know what? We think our guys kind of pretty damn good and we didn't have them. And then we went to a third string guy and then we had no, no guy at all. Um, and you beat us on the road. Um, but you know what? Um, you know, if Brock hadn't gotten hurt, we think that game would have gone different. That was an honest opinion from Debo, from Kittle, and from anybody else who stood up and said it. And it played like the Niners won't give the Eagles their flowers. The Niners won't give the Eagles respect. The Niners, you know, no, it was really rooted in they have a belief that they can get, they can beat anybody on any day with Brock Purdy. And I think we're going to see it in Philly in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, obviously the Seattle games first on Thanksgiving, then Philly, but I feel great about the Niners chances of winning in Philly. I think the Niners know that they kind of talked a big game, um, and they're going to fire big against the Eagles in week 13. I'm, I'm convinced of it. I'm it's the, it's got game of the year written all over it. It's yeah. got NFL game of the year written all over it. Second well, maybe tonight is maybe tonight NFL game of the year might be kicking off at Arrowhead Eagles and chiefs Monday night football. That's a monster. All right. You just, you, you, you shot a lot at me right there. Okay. We'll try to go back through it. Sure. It takes zero talent to bet against Brock Purdy. It takes zero skill level to have bet against Brock Purdy at the day he was drafted. Okay, like, of course, he's Mr. Irrelevant. That never works out. He's not in a situation that even with the fantastic start that offseason, he's having surgery. It suggests that this won't be a leap forward offseason for him. Betting against Brock Purdy took no talent at all. It was easy to do that. It's also easier to admit, had you bet against him, that you might have been wrong about that because these aren't just suggestions of data points these aren't just little bits of statistics this isn't a game or two this isn't a flash there is a sustained level of a performance that we're getting from him over the course of a full regular season in terms of starts split over two regular seasons 
And it's something else. It's something else. Here's something that you might have missed, Larry. I don't know if you saw this one. I saw it in the Nick Wagner write-up yesterday. Um, Nick does a great job, by the way, for ESPN.com. Yes, he does. And this was pretty darn interesting. He pulled out a little football encyclopedia and came up with this one. But just the facts, okay? His five interceptions are tied for the second fewest among starters. His 9.7 yards per attempt are the second most through 10 games in NFL history among players with a minimum of 250 attempts. He's keeping company with Boomer Esiason in 1988, Dan Marino in 1984, Aaron Rodgers in 2011. And at that rate, all three of those seasons for Boomer, Marino, and Aaron Rodgers went on to be MVP seasons for all three of those quarterbacks. So we're talking about some of the great seasons ever played in quarterbacking, you know, just legend. And Brock Purdy is doing that in year two. It wasn't year two for Marino, Boomer, or Aaron Rodgers, by the way, in any of those years. It wasn't year two that they were doing that. So to try to deny this guy is just means means you're cheap and you don't want to buy the flowers. I mean, that's it. That's it. That's all. That's, to, to, to not be able to hand this guy a bouquet of compliments means you, you don't even know who you're buying flowers for or or what holiday it is. Like you just you're 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 making shit up at this point. You're coming up with reasons to pretend what the rest of us are seeing that we aren't really seeing it. So it takes no talent at all to have bet against him. It should take even less talent to admit that you were wrong in that bet. But the untalented are galactically untalented all the way around. That's just how it goes. Um, Brock Purdy, with a passer rating of 158.3, he joins Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson and then Rams quarterback Jared Goff is the only quarterbacks under the age of 24 in NFL history to attain this passer rating. You know, Goff is having a much better year than anyone would have bet on him having in Detroit, and the Lions are very good. Lamar's already won an MVP. And, you know, Brock is just keeping the, you know, most elite of elite of elite statistical company. He he is when you look around this league. The other thing, coming back to the belief in Brock in that Eagles game, I'm totally on board. I think that you are right that they were not trying to disrespect Philadelphia, but they basically said we had to play an NFC championship game with two hands tied behind our back. It was hard to do. Wasn't really a fair fight. The minute Josh Johnson is checking in and pissing down his own leg. So, you know, they're direct snapping to, to, to Christian McCaffrey in that game. It's, it was, it was the worst possible scenario that could have befell the 49ers in the NFC title game. And the other thing, the last thing, and this is all reacting to what you just threw at me. When you said how, you know, Kittle, they love Garoppolo. You know, they really like Jimmy. And they, you know, that's our guy. And they would wear T-shirts of each other. And that was all buddy, 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 buddy. You know who wasn't buddy, 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 buddy with Jimmy Garoppolo? Trent Williams. You know, Trent Williams, he liked Garoppolo. He didn't dislike Jimmy Garoppolo. But Trent didn't come here to do anything other than play better football and win. And he's like the first among the veterans to be like, dude, this third string kid that I've never even heard of is pretty damn good. 
you know, there's the famous story of Brock Purdy hearing Trent Williams compliment him walking off a practice field. And that was one of the first like real shots of confidence that Brock Purdy ever had in his NFL career. Like, damn, Trent Williams thinks I'm pretty good. That's that's a good start. So did you see um, Trent's comment going into this game? No, he said um, talking about Brock, he said it's like taking him 206 uh, to take to taking Brock. Oh, yeah, it's like the power 262. It's like playing the lottery. And hitting the Powerball when it's at two billion dollars. By the way, uh, Damon Brock Purdy coming into yesterday was the number one quarterback in QBR, which is the ESPN all-encompassing quarterback stat, behind an offensive line that ranked twenty-second in the NFL in pass block win rate. So he's not operating behind the league's best line, and yet he's the number one quarterback in QBR. And by the way, the last quarterback. Uh, the, the last Niner quarterback to have a perfect passer rating was 1989. I was a freshman at Sacramento State in 1989. I'm now 53 and have uh, two kids in near grad school. Yeah, I was so, 14 years old. <laughs> exactly. And it's been a while. And, and there are still people that always want to dangle this and that. And the latest dangling thing is hey, yeah, but his passer rating in the fourth quarter uh, when the Niners were trying to put this game away was 82.6. And until he shows that he can play at a high level in that fourth quarter in a, in a tight game and win it against a good team, he hasn't, he's not going to check that box. Okay. You want to you die on that hill? Die on that hill. Some people want to die on the hill of, of, hey, you know what? He can't beat the, you know, he can't win a Super Bowl. All right. You want to die on that hill? Die on that hill. I haven't played in one yet. I I get I get a feeling that those days are coming for both of those things. That those both of those boxes will get checked with this quarterback. And if you want to wait to check them until it actually happens, God bless you. But um, we just you know, it's like when I said to on the radio last summer while I was filling in, I said this guy's Brock Purdy's the real deal. And I got so many people who were scoffing. Okay, all right, all right. Here we go. Krug, Krug's always ex- obsessed with the esoteric, and he he always loves the practice squad guys. And you know, Krug, Krug, Krug. And they and the guys scoffed, and I won't name them because you know they're good guys. But uh, they scoffed, and they were like, "Oh yeah, right, Brock Purdy, yeah, 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 yeah." And then I tweeted last summer. I go next year the battle at quarterback will be between Trent, uh, Trey Lance and Brock Purdy. And not Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. It was like, yeah, right. I, I got that one on my timeline. The comments are all like, you know, you're an idiot. You're a fool. You're a jackass. Um, so, you know what? It's just, it's an unlikely thing. But, you know, when you, to me, what clinched it was when I met the guy and talked to him. And he had the, it, I, I interviewed Tom Brady on the Stanford practice field during the East West Shrine game uh, practices the year he came out. In 1999, and Damon, I swear to God, I've interviewed Russell Wilson. I've interviewed Drew Brees. I got deja vu. I got like elite quarterback deja vu interviewing Brock Purdy uh, in the Niner locker room his rookie year in training camp or right after the end of training camp, like week one. That unbelievably humble, really polite, aw shucks, nice guy. But that simmering, I will cut your throat to beat you. I live for football and to win football games. 
And it's like all in one, you know, quarterback cocktail, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, wow, that guy seemed really humble and nice, but you know what? He, that guy's a killer. He's a stone cold killer. And you could tell same thing with Tom Brady gives you the aw shucks and the, this and that Russell Wilson's like that. Um, Drew Brees is like that. Oh, you know, they're, we're just here. We're just happy to be here. But these guys had this simmering, boiling confidence of I'm going to win. I'm damn good. I don't care what you think about me. I know what I think about myself. This is not your career. This is my career, and I'm going to make it happen. You just go watch. Um, I got that same vibe, and here we are. I didn't know. I knew he was going to be good. I didn't know he was going to be this good, and um, he's just been phenomenal. And I think the 49, if you're a 49er fan, you know, they got to build up their line. I don't know if they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. They got to build up their offensive line. I don't know if Spencer Burford is good enough at right guard. I don't know if Jake Moody is going to make the kick with money on the line. I don't know if they can stop the run in five, six, seven weeks when Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner are more beat up and more injured, more tired. I don't know. I don't know if they can get by without Talanoa Fonga and win a Super Bowl with a with a rookie safety who's impressive, but we'll talk about him. But, um, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. I don't know if they have good enough coverage, but I know they got the right quarterback, and I know that they're going to have several chances to win said Super Bowl in the next whatever period of time, three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, whatever it is, they've got their quarterback position and their head coach position, right? And that's where winning a Super Bowl really starts. And then it's about, you know, the other pieces of the puzzle and we'll see if Lynch and Peters and the personnel department have enough skill to surround their head coach and their quarterback with the pieces it's going to take. But, Let's not debate the quarterback anymore. Let's start focusing on the real, the, the other issues that could prevent this team from winning a Super Bowl. Look, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of that game, too. You know, I mean, I know that Thursday's coming quick, but we should enjoy this win over Tampa Bay. There is some really interesting football to be talked about, and we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the game as we continue. But just to kind of put a bow on our celebration day party. Uh, as we open up uh, this episode of 49ers Wake Up, he's all we've talked about for the first half hour. Larry, I don't, I don't know. Again, this is a, a, one of the strengths you and I have as broadcasters is we're willing to admit, like, I don't know. I don't know what any of this means, but I'm just trying to gather it and trying to figure it out. The choice between physical gifts and hard work to get there is becoming easier for me to make that choice. And I think I'll take the guy with the hard work. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> pardon me. I just frog in my throat. <clears throat> there are some guys, especially in high school and then in college who just have these level of physical talents that separate them from college players and real, you know, d- 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 are, are you better than everyone else on the football field today? Because of physical gifts, the answer is yes, I am. And God bless you if that's the situation you're in. You hit the genetic lottery. You were born with a body that was just preordained to have a real shot at a professional career. And your physical gifts, whenever you can take the physical gifts and wrap them into the work ethic that comes with the guy that doesn't have the physical gifts, that's when that's when Patrick Mahomes happens, right? That's when the best of 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 the best and easy to see and easy to bet on all come down the pipe at the same time. There's something to be said for the kid who didn't have the body to get recruited to the elite school that 
is on a football field where he's not the best football player, but he is responsible for elevating the talent level of everyone else around him by how he plays and the choices that he makes. There's something to be said for the underestimated kid who has to be twice as cerebral, prepare twice as hard. And I'm not saying that the physical gift guy gets to mail it in, but sometimes someone with physical gifts just says, I got this. I, I got this. I don't need another practice rep here. I don't need another day in the weight room. I'm physically better than all these guys as it is. Then you get to the NFL and you find out quickly, everyone here is an absolute fucking stud. Everyone, not some of the guys, everyone on this football field is the single best football player I have ever seen. You know, like that's, that's what the NFL is. And that's when guys who just have physical gifts can no longer win with only their physical gifts. And that's when a guy like Brock Purdy gets underrated. Who, who was ball. recruited to Alabama, by the way, and only stayed at Iowa State out of loyalty to committing to Iowa State first. How about that? So that, to me, is a part of the mental makeup it takes between are you a real man or you do, do you just jump to best opportunity to best opportunity? Real men stick out commitments and loyalty and honor the contracts they signed and all the stuff that your grandfather used to preach about. You know, I mean, there is an totally. element to I've committed to this. I'm going to see it through that I respect so much more than the kid who transfers because I don't have the amount of playing time that I'm comfortable with. Like I, I, I respect the hell out of that. I yeah. really do. And I'm not saying that I totally disrespect the kid that transfers, but to me, I kind of do the kid who, no, I mean, it's an individual case by case basis in, in a lot of instances, but the kid who sticks it through to me always gets the wink and the smile and the th that way to go kid. Like that to me is, I, I, that's who I want my sons to be as a father raising two sons. I want my kids to be the kids who honor contracts, even if it might not be benefiting them. If you've agreed to it, you do it. That's like that to me, that matters. Well, I can remember as a little kid, because we all played sports, you know, from when we we're little kids and I can remember, I forget what grade it was and I forget what sport it was. I think it might've been soccer in like the fourth grade or something like that. And I came home after, you know, two, three weeks. And I was like, dad, um, I don't want to play soccer anymore. I want to quit. And he's like, you don't have to play soccer anymore if you don't want to, but you're not going to quit. And I said, well, what? No, you don't understand. I don't want to do it anymore. He's like, that's fine. You don't have to do it anymore, but you're, you can do that next year. This year you're, com you committed to those, to the rest of those kids to be on that team and to that coach to be on that team. And we're going to every game. We're going to be at every practice. You know, you're not quitting. And then it was like an eye opener. I mean, I was fourth, fourth grade, but still it was like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's like, I can't quit now. It's like, uh, I've, I've got, you know, if I, if I want, I cannot play in the fifth grade if I don't want to play soccer, but I'm going to be going out there. And it is true. And it's like, you know, um, you know, as a little kid, there was birthday parties on Saturdays, right? Like, oh, I got Jimmy's birthday party and they've rented out, you know, Marriott's and we're going to, we're all going in a bus and it's going to be awesome. Oh, but you've got a soccer game against St. Gabriel's at 11 a.m. Oh, but dad, let's just skip that. I want to go to the party. And now in 2023, 
parents will be like, oh, yeah, Jimmy's got a better opportunity. He's going on his bus and rented, you know, rented out. They're going to rent out the whole place. So we won't be at the game coach. Oh, no problem. 2023 idiot parent. No problem. We'll see Jimmy next week. Not not George Kruger. He was like, uh, sorry, you're on the team. You're going to the game. You We go to every practice, every game, or we're not on the freaking team. You made a commitment to your team. You're going to live up to that commitment. And I remember thanking him for that in high school, going, Dad, I really appreciated that. Right. Day of, you didn't thank him. Oh, no. At Day time, of, I wanted to go to that party. but yeah, I wanted to go know. to the party. Are you kidding me? They're going to have a pony. They're going to be painting faces. It's going to be awesome. No, you're playing you're playing holy name that day on a foggy uh, outer sunset, uh, you know, pitch somewhere. You never know you're learning how to be a man while you're actually learning how to be a man. It's like Daniel LaRusso didn't realize he was learning the entire textbook of karate defense when he's sanding the floor and painting the house and waxing on and waxing off. And then all of a sudden, Miyagi's like, all right, let me show you how this all works in real life. And now, you know, the light bulb goes off for Daniel LaRusso and, and, you know, in a montage of fixing up the house, he becomes a black belt. And, you know, maybe growing into adulthood isn't that easy but yeah the little lessons along the way go into who you are and I, how about this larry i don't need to meet him i've heard some sound bites i even interviewed him once but i don't need to meet brock purdy's dad to know that brock purdy's dad's a square shooter you know what i mean like this i bet you that guy's a good guy but you that guy's the kind of guy you'd want babysitting or raising your kid like you can just tell the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It really Did doesn't. Did you see Brock's brother yesterday, Saturday for Nebraska? Chubba had a big game against Nebraska. No. Nebraska, yeah, and Brock was leading the thing. Where, hey, did you watch watch your brother this weekend? He's like, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's an athletic family they come from. The dad pitched in the minors for the Giants. Uh, the brother plays at Nebraska. Brock's doing his thing with the Niners. I think the sister is like some star volleyball player. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible story really in the 49ers. I can still remember watching the draft. Here comes Mr. Irrelevant. I'm wishing for some linebacker or whatever. And the 49ers select Brock Purdy. I'm like, Oh God, really? So, you know, some smallish, you know, college quarterback with the, with a, with no arm. I saw Iowa state. I saw this guy. Oh, I know. I know he won some big games, but really? And then a buddy of mine who I called, who scouts in the league, said, Krug, I'm listening to you and I'm hearing you, but I was in Ames earlier this year. and I've seen this kid up close, and I'm going to send you an, a highlight reel, and I want you to watch it and then call me back. So he sends me a highlight reel. I watched it, and I'm like, yeah, he did look pretty good. I'll admit he looked pretty good, but can he transition to the pros? And he's like, I believe in this kid, and this guy's a tremendous young scout. Um, I won't name him just because I don't know that his his pro team wants him talking to media people on or off the record about guys right. uh, in the draft that his team did not draft. But sources, sources Larry, sources. Right, right. But this guy, this guy <laughs> is a great young scout who's going to be a general manager someday. And he was like, you know what, Krug? I, I love you, and I think you're right about so much, but you're wrong on this kid. This kid can flat out play. and he won me over and I said, you know what? I'll wait till minicamp. I love what you sent me. It's incredible. I'll put it away in my back of my brain, but I got to see it in minicamp. I went to minicamp and the guy was perfect. I'm like, all right, I can't, I can't be that guy 
who goes crazy over mini camp. So I go, I'm going to wait till training camp. And sure enough, in training camp, Brock looked absolutely incredible. The first preseason game he ever played, he worked the play clock down to like one in the fourth quarter trying to win the game. And I went up to Tim Ryan at the next next practice, and we're talking to each other. I'm like, Tim, did you see Purdy in that fourth quarter? And he's like, he looks right at me, and he's like, the play clock? And I'm like, yeah, the play clock. I'm like, that was unbelievable. And we both like, you know, give the bro hug. And we're like, dude, that was freaking unbelievable. Larry, this is what I'm talking about with, you know, would the physical gifts kid have played that play clock the way that right. did without the physical gifts did? I'm, I'm, again, I'm not well, It's, it's the difference between did. playing quarterback and living to win. When you're about, when some people show up for the money, some people show up for the girls. Some people show up for the glory, and some guys show up to win. You, you, the greatest quarterbacks of all time: Joe Montana, Tom Brady, the greatest athletes in team sports you've ever seen: Derek Jeter, um, Jordan. Somebody, Jordan. These guys show up for the W. Curry show Curry. He shows up for the win. It's not about, did you go 40? Did you get 50? Did you have the windmill dunk? Did you go behind the back? Jeter, did you have the running throw into the hole? Did you have the game-winning hit? No, it's about the win. It's all about the W. And that's that's what that's what working the play clock to one in a preseason throwaway game, you know, in the fourth quarter to where tells, tells people about you. It's that you're out there to win. I, when Brock Purdy did that slide, I think it was against Seattle. Now they got Seattle this week. When he slid, remember when he ran to the sideline and he slid, and as he slid, he, he extended the football forward? Mm-hmm. That was such a Russell Wilson-like play against the Niners. I can't tell you the number of times Seattle beat the Niners with Russell Wilson, where Wilson and the offense finished the game on the field putting the dagger shot in the Niners with some little first down that Russell ran for through for whatever. And watching Brock do that to Seattle, it was like, you know what? Now the Niners have their own Russell Wilson. His name's Brock Purdy. Uh, so they're, they're very, very fortunate. And even Shanahan, when he was asked about, you know, um, I asked Shanahan this week, um, did you ever worry that when Brock started throwing those picks over the last four, two games, that he would be timid and that he would be, you know, that it would that it would it would change his whole mindset about playing the position and he'd kind of lose his feel and everything. He's like, no, I really didn't. Why? Because the rest of the film was outstanding in those games. If you watched Brock against Cincinnati, if you listen to the the YouTube crew, you would have thought he absolutely stunk up the joint against Minnesota and Cincinnati. That ain't true. He threw for he he had more than seven hundred yards from scrimmage. He had better than 70% passes completed undone by the four interceptions. Right. He completed in that Minnesota game going to the fourth quarter, 85% on the road. So, I mean, he played well against Minnesota. He just turned it over twice in the fourth quarter. He played really well against Cincinnati. He just turned it over twice in the fourth quarter. And so Shanahan was like, no, I wasn't concerned. But, you know, obviously you can't turn it over two times in the fourth quarter and win games in the NFL. So he's gonna he's got to eradicate that por- portion of his game for sure. But he knows it. He knows it. Welcome to 49ers Wake Up. It is wonderful to have you here, Damon Bruce, Larry Kruger, going over everything, not just Brock's day, 
and look, I, 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 I will, we'll get back to him. You can't talk about the Niners for 10 minutes in a row without returning to Brock. So we'll get back for sure. Larry, a few other things to share from yesterday. Uh, Along with Purdy having now 18 touchdown passes this season, his 76 yarder to Brandon Ayuk is the longest of his career and the longest touchdown pass by any quarterback in football this year to date. So not bad for Dink and Dunk. Um, just a dime, about- just an absolute dime yeah. to Ayuk. Well, I mean, and, that yeah. was just that was just you know um, unbelievable when you think about it. That ball traveled 42 yards in the air on a line just over Jamel Dean's hand, right into Brandon Ayuk's hands. 76 yard pitch and catch, 20 to 7 49ers. Just Larry, a flat thought- out dime. I saw this uh, from your boy, Vish. Uh, you know, I know that you do some stuff with, with content creators. I think Vish is one of your best guests that you have on. You appear on his channel. I like Vish very, very much, too. Brandon Ayuk. This is from Vish's Twitter. Uh-huh. Brandon Ayuk currently 10th in the NFL in receiving yards with 831. 61 targets this year. That's 43rd in the NFL, tied with Cole Komet. So, again... It's not like he is getting an abundance of targets, yet he is 10th in the NFL in receiving yards. 38 of his 43 receptions have gone for first downs. 38 of 43 catches have moved the chains. He's second in the NFL at 19.3 yards a catch. Brandon Ayuk, he might not be Larry in the end zone as often as you wanted him to be. I remember a couple of weeks ago, you were trying to tell yeah. me who was disappointing you. I don't think he well, should still be disappointing that, you. That whole thing was so blown out of proportion. I I was all, simply made a statement based on what he had done in camp. I expected him to have 12 to 15 touchdowns right. this year. I'm the guy we who got, told training camp didn't matter. That doesn't we, just apply to quarterbacks. <laughs> no, but it did matter. It did matter. He was having he was a great, he was, great, he was great camp. Separating his and, I, and I, all my whole entirety of my point was just, I'm a little disappointed we're halfway through the season and he has two receiving touchdowns. Why I understand. Do you I Why understand. do you hate him? Boo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Boo. You hate IU. You, you know, hate IU. <laughs> just, just ridiculous. <laughs> I got put into this position where I was just saying, I felt like his, he was disappointing based on the touchdown percentage. But, dude, nobody's more immersed in Niner football than me. I've watched, I'm there every day. I'm at every practice. I'm at every presser. I'm at, you know, I mean, seriously. Um, I just was just, I was just, that was my, the entirety of the point. And then it was like, well, look at all the catches and look at, and I'm like, I'm just saying I'm disappointed in the touchdown percentage or the touchdown production. That was it. And it got grown into so much more. Well, but now I- the Niners have a question that's coming up this off season, which is you're paying Debo 20 and you're going to have to pay this cat 20. Are you willing to pay your two starting wide receivers north of $40 million in a run first on a run first team. Now you can do it if you want to do it because you've got Brock Purdy making $840,000 and he's still got a, you know, the, the year, you know, a year or two left on his rookie deal. Um, but will they, you know, will they? And I think if, if I, you could come first and now not Debo, they would have signed Ayuk and traded Debo. But because Debo came first and they already paid Debo, 
now I don't think you can either. I don't. I don't think you can trade Debo. I think it's a matter of you either pay Ayuk or you let I or you trade Ayuk. And they do need an offensive tackle, and there probably will be a team uh, in the advance uh, up to to the draft in April that will give you a number one pick for Brandon Ayuk. The question is: Do the Niners pay him the twenty million plus and keep him, or do they pawn him for a first round draft choice like? The Eagles did, or like the Titans did with uh, AJ Brown, uh, and like some other teams have done with their star wide receivers. Yeah, I'm not. That's really off the question Brandon. coming Literally, up. So you know, I'm not coming off Brandon Ayuk, and unfortunately, Debo is. You know, he's kind of drifting into as overpaid a player as you're going to find in football. He's there's a lot to like about Debo. Statistics are not among the things to like about Debo, unfortunately. Um. Debo's, Debo's got value. a real value, but yeah, he I does. Mean, he does, but it, but it, but it ain't a twenty million. You know, it's not. Well, Ayuk separates. Ayuk's got real ball skills and separates. Debo is a more of a gadget wide receiver, but also Debo is a leader on this team. He's one of the guys that gets the rest of the group up to play. He's in some ways he is the 49ers because his level of physicality on offense is the kind of the, one of the defining traits of this football. He's team, a huge so. cone setter. It's, it's playing with violence. Yeah, he does that. Setter. I like it. I also like receivers who are running wide open without anyone six yards around them. That's also Brandon Ayuk. And look, if you went up to Brock Purdy and you said, we're getting rid of Brandon Ayuk, Brock Purdy would be like, don't do that. So yeah. I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should do that. Those um, guys uh, connection right now. It's special. It's, it's unbelievable. There's something to, and look, the connection between Purdy and you know, the, the, Yesterday was the best game that George Kittle has had that no one will talk about. George Kittle was good yesterday. Um, I want to talk about the defense. We haven't talked at all about the defense. It was a, a weird day for the defense because, look, Baker Mayfield made some plays out there. And then Baker Mayfield, kind of like Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, he'll, he'll make a few plays in a row, make you say, all right, I, I get why he's in the NFL. I, I totally get it. Then he's blocking Nick Bosa, and you say to yourself, geez, you know, no wonder why his teammates like him. He's scrappy as hell. And, you know, you even heard Moose Johnson say, you know, uh, Baker Mayfield plays quarterback like an offensive lineman, and that's just a great compliment to give to a guy. And it it is. And then kind of like Jimmy Garoppolo, he lets like three or four or five balls go in a game where you're like, what was he looking at? Oh, my God, that should have been a pick. I can't believe that that wasn't a pick. Yesterday, the 49ers defense registered 11 pass deflections, which are the most the unit has registered since 2016. So I want to give an awful lot of credit to that secondary for playing very handsy, fighting at the point of the catch football without drawing a whole bunch of flags, specifically Mooney Ward, who Larry in the last few weeks was just like an automatic PI waiting to happen. He had a really good game yesterday. That secondary had a good game. And the fact when Talanoa Hufanga went out, it didn't change the prospects dramatically is a really good sign. You wanted to get to Jair Brown? I'd like to get to Jair Brown right here, right now, because he got caught flat-footed like his first play of the day, gets burned on the seam route. Then he's guarding Mike Evans in the end zone, breaking things up on fourth down. He ends the game with the consequent, the consequential um, uh, interception in the end zone to wrap it up right there. 
even if Tampa had scored that, I still think the game's wrapped up. But it was a nice way to end the game for him. And I, I really like Talanoa Hufanga. Talanoa Hufanga's not having as good of a year this year as he had last year. Jair Brown can play. I mean, I watched an awful lot of Penn State football when he was on the team, and he plays the run and the pass well. He's got ball skills. He can catch. I don't think that the step from Hufanga to Brown is a massive backward step. I, it's not a a side. It's not linear. It's not. It's not exactly the same. But it's not a massive regression. And I think the 49ers are going to be able to play through Jair Brown as this team starting safety and look an awful lot like a defense that can do things. You know, it was the most deceiving box score of the year for the Niners. I thought um, Baker Mayfield was eight of 10 for 80 yards at halftime. Now, 80% is 80%, but he eight of 10. So he wound up in the second half. Uh, he finished 29 of 45. So do the, do the math. Um, you know, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are their two top receivers. They combined yesterday for 11 catches for almost 80 yards. They were uh, essentially taken out of the game while they remained in the game. But I mean, Godwin, Godwin was shut out in the first half. Right. Evans had the one catch uh, for one yard in the first half and the touchdown, the one yard touchdown grab. So, I mean, the Niner defense had two different modes and it was kind of took me back to the Steeler game in week one. The Niners beat the Steelers 30 to seven, but it was much more one sided than that. The Niners beat Tampa Bay 27, 14, but this was more one sided than that. The 49ers played a bend but don't break defense, and they let off the gas pedal in on defense in the second half, and they were content to allow Baker to throw six to eight yard outs uh, to Otten and Evans and Godwin and Jarrett and all these guys at will. I mean, basically just at will. And the coverage was tight. It, it was really tight, but Baker was was threading the needle and making plays. Um, they, the Niners lost, I mean, I don't know if it was by design, uh, but they seemed content. They lost some of their urgency to, um, you know, to really shut off their water and let's give the, you know, there's that old saying, those guys get paid too. well, truer words have never been spoken. I mean, Evans and Godwin and Baker, I mean, these guys are pros and they made a lot of plays, but at halftime, Chris Godwin, zero catches, zero yards at halftime, Mike Evans, one catch for one yard. So they, the defense did a nice job. I thought overall, um, I think these numbers are very, very deceiving as far as Jair Brown, Jair Brown, I think has the potential to be even better than Talanoa Hafanga. Now Hafanga um, is really an instinctive player. Very, very smart, very heady. There's some real, he lives for football. He told me last week in the locker room, that he watched the film five times before Tuesday. You know I mean? It was like, you know, this guy just loves it, lives it, and he's the real deal. But Jair Brown is a bigger hitter with better speed. Um, and, and yesterday, Jair Brown, in a short amount of time, four tackles, two solo, made a play in the end zone that was huge, had an interception, defended three passes. I mean, he is a 
you know, I love Jair Brown in the draft. I was standing on the table cheering wildly when they took him. Why? Because to me, when you really hit home runs in the draft is when you can marry special athleticism with special collegiate production. And that's what that kid had. He was on the Bruce Feldman freaks list. He power cleans like 360 and he benches the whole weight room and the squats, everything. The guy's a freak of nature. He's one of the great athletes coming out of college football the last few years. Um, and he like picked off 16 passes or whatever it was in Good three hand. seasons at, at Penn State. So he played at a great football powerhouse factory. He was well coached. He was productive as hell. He can play in the box or he can play down the field in coverage. And he's a workout warrior, freak of nature athlete. So I got cousins who went, they're all Penn Staters. The, 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 the dad, the boys, you know, everyone yeah. went to Penn State. And they, they love used, this kid. Oh, they used to tell me, like, too bad he can't also be tight end. He might have the best hands on the team. Like, he, we should play him both ways. Like, they and love you should, Oh, and Damon, you, I, you know, he was an all state New Jersey basketball player who led, set the record in the state of New Jersey for steals. So, what does that tell you about his break on the ball? I mean, what is stealing the basketball? It's a lot of times your first, it's your, it's your vision. It's your anticipation and it's your first step or two, right? That's what, that's what, you know, helps you get into the passing lanes and, and, and it's your desire and it's your, and it's your preparation. This kid's got all of that. So, I mean, I interviewed him in, uh, at minicamp and I thought, oh my God, this guy's not only is this guy, the right guy on film, uh, and, and the, the, the workout numbers are crazy. This guy lives for football. And then listening to him yesterday in the locker room, talk to us. It's like, you know, I said, how do you watch the film? Do you watch it with somebody? He's like, I always watch it with my coach, but I'll watch it with some of the veteran players. And then I go home and I watch it on my own. And it's like, wow. So the, he's special, man. He's a really, really great pick by Lynch and Peters. And um, I don't know that he's going to play like a Fonga, you know, as far as his anticipation, efficiency, he's going to make some mistakes, but in some ways, uh, they added a bigger, faster, more physical player than they had. Well, it was a good day for a secondary. It was a day for a defense where bending, not breaking, was part of the theme of the afternoon. And look, there's some vulnerabilities. When you know the screen game popped in Jacksonville a little bit, screen game popped a little bit for Baker Mayfield yesterday. The, the key to beating the Niners is to get into the second level on the edges. That is the clearly opposing offensive game plan. Get to the second level, but don't do it in the middle of the field where Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw are just taking dudes' heads off. You want to go and play on outside of the numbers and let your running game and your screen game pop out there. It's You, you can see that that is the real estate that offensive coordinators are fighting for when they're playing uh, against the 49ers defense. Um, it, it, just like that. We're in hour number two of 49ers Wake Up. If you're just joining us, good morning. A rousing win, a dominant game, a historically significant game from Brock Purdy and Brandon Ayuk lead the 49ers into the win column in a game that I thought, Larry, they had to have. I'm not a hot take guy. My hot take on uh, on Friday was simply this. The loser of this game will not win the Super Bowl. Now, obviously, that applied more to the 49ers. I don't think the Buccaneers are going to be in the Super Bowl. I do think the Niners could be. And so that was, you know, it was me basically saying, hey, Niners, if you're going to be who you want to be, 
you do not blow this game at home against Tampa Bay. You take care of your business, and they did handle their business. And in a game summary, Larry, I really thought that that first half saw the Buccaneers in the game really only on the scoreboard. You know, field goals are good, but touchdowns are better, and the 49ers had to settle for field goals, and that kept Tampa in the game along with, uh, you know, a, a drive that, they get full credit for Mike Evans, you know, did a nice job. Baker held the ball to the second level of that slant route and touchdown. And now all of a sudden it's 10 to seven. It's closer than it should be. The second half took the competitive nature of that game on the scoreboard away quickly. And the Niners open up that 20 point lead. And then the bucks put together that lightning quick drive that they needed. And they got off the field defensively when they needed to, and all of a sudden, that was still a game with about 12 minutes left instead of it being blowout city. You know, the Niners gave up a sack at the wrong time. They had their their three and out of the, I think there's only one three and out that they had, and it came at the worst possible time in the game. Uh, they allowed one of their worst special teams plays of the season on that big punt return, yeah. all at the wrong time. And, you know, the Bucks were able to stay in that game when the sun should have set on them earlier in the game but again they get paid too right fourth and one christian mccaffrey you know gets stopped short and all of a sudden like technically it's still a game here even though you know the tampa is gonna have to score a touchdown get an onside kick score another touchdown so it's i don't like their chances but they're still technically this is still a football game when it should be over right now but mccaffrey got stuffed on fourth and one and I think this is where we're starting to grasp the importance of Brock Purdy because Christian McCaffrey looked by any measurement played well yesterday, but he wasn't great. You know, that wasn't of all the games that Christian McCaffrey will play this year. We will not talk about the game against Tampa ever again. You know, we well, you know, and here's the thing. I mean, I'll push back on that too. I watched that game from the binoculars in the upper deck. There were at least five runs where there was zero hole. And somehow McCaffrey made something of it. But he does that every week. There's he every averaged three seven a carry, but um, but man, he he it was they, the holes were not there. No, and, and as far as a, as a receiver, they threw him five balls. He caught all five, but he including one for a touchdown. He always does that. I mean, that's every game he plays. So it's just in all the games that he plays, I don't think there's a lot of memorable, but for the touchdown, it's over a hundred yards and a touchdown. It is. But he yeah. does it every day. I mean, it's, it's every every game. I mean, it's just, that's all. You know, Steph Curry hit five threes tonight. <sighs> every game. You know, I mean, you know, he does that every game. Um, I, I thought the the best play of the game all day long for the 49ers was that touchdown to McCaffrey from the three yard line, where Shanahan's got all the eye candy going to the left corner of the end zone, and Purdy comes out of the backfield through the a gap. And is literally all by himself. I mean, that was about as clever of a design making the linebacker bite on the just a little stutter step that he gave to the left and he comes back to the right. It was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. But Christian McCaffrey, you know, he's just we're again, we're we're getting spoiled by him, right? We're getting spoiled by how good he is. And I actually thought that it was a game where Kyle tried to come out and play a little bit left-handed. McCaffrey didn't get a touch on that opening drive. For, it's got to be the first opening drive all year where McCaffrey didn't get a touch. Now, I'm sure he would have had it kept going, and maybe you could say, well, it didn't keep going, and you got off the field because you weren't giving McCaffrey the ball. But then we saw Elijah Mitchell 
get several first half touches. It almost looked like he was getting a series there for a minute. Uh, Kyle hasn't shown us that any point in time in the year. And I thought, oh, this bodes well to like maybe a 10, 12 carry day for Elijah Mitchell because, you know, Vita Vea is exactly the kind of guy you don't want landed on top of McCaffrey nine times today. So maybe it's a day to get into that depth chart a little bit. Not really. Well, I, well let's, let's talk about that for a second. There. Let's talk about that for a second because uh, he was asked the question about JP Mason and he had a kind of a high profile exchange. And I think that Kyle has not been thinking of ways to get Mitchell going or get him off in any way. It was just about you go in when we need you. So you're running a lot of times when when everybody in the place knows we're going to run. So you're running the ball in many non-advantageous positions, and Kyle knew it. So I think he said, you know what? I'm going to run Mitchell a couple times in this game when nobody knows if we're going run or pass. And, and you know, because I know this kid's a good running back, and I know he's looking better than the numbers show. And I think that's what that was about because that was the first time we've seen Mitchell, I think, where it wasn't like, okay, they're running out the clock. And here's Mitchell preserving carries or preserving hits from Christian McCaffrey. Right, first half and carries. He's getting first half carries. First half carries and also in non-obvious running situations, situations that could be run or pass. And sure enough, he averaged six yards a pop. He had a 13-yard run. He had four carries for 24 yards. He, you know, so I think that was partly Kyle saying, Hey, look, I put myself out there and told everybody that Mitchell is better than Mason. I've got to now, you know, put Mitchell in a couple of spots for him to succeed so that people stop asking these questions. And, and I think that's what was going on there. Now, I personally would love to see Mason too, because I think Mason's, um, you know, um, to me, he reminds me of a kind of a poor man's. Marshawn Lynch, I mean, he's big and powerful and explosive and hard to bring down. And I, I agree that I'd love to see Mason out there. But Mitchell's struggles and his yards per carry are contextual. And Kyle knew it. And that's why he put him in uh, a better context this week to actually have success as opposed to Mitchell's been taking, him, taking one for the team most times. And his his numbers look awful, but it's mostly situational. Now he averaged six yards a carry. Now people are going to be like, oh, yeah, he looks pretty good. Well, well, he had that spectacular rookie year. And then, you know, the injury, then Christian McCaffrey, which means you hit the rearview mirror and that's just the way it goes. I, I He's a talented back. You know, I... I just think that there needs to be somebody taking 10 carries every Sunday between now and the end of the year who's not named Christian McCaffrey. I agree. That's just to preserve the guy named Christian McCaffrey because right. Brock, Brock's been great. Brock's been historically good. Uh, without Christian McCaffrey, should he get hurt, that's it, kids. That's that's where the year wraps up right there in that injury. If there's ever a, if, if Christian McCaffrey is on a cart that isn't a golf cart, at any point in time this year, ice cream carts and golf carts are the only carts. Mario Kart, the only carts I want around Christian McCaffrey. Carts are bad news. Seasons end on carts. And the 49ers season of trying to win a Super Bowl would end immediately should there be a cart coming for McCaffrey. So, you know, it's so funny because people always talk about next man up, next man up. Like, you know, 
but that the reality is the NFL is, is, you know, it's football's a violent game. Guys go down, but it's about who is the next man up. Have you ever seen Nick Saban in a post game presser talking about an injury? He, nobody seems uh, more unaffected than him. Why? Because the next guy up's a five-star, you know, who's promising to be even better than the last guy. Same with Kirby Smart in Georgia. If you, we lost this guy to an injury. Yeah, okay, it's really bad, but we got this guy coming in. I mean, the next guy up is so the, – the depth at, at Georgia, LSU, uh, you know, some of these – Alabama, Ohio State, it's endless. So these guys are not worried. In the NFL, was it bad to lose a Fonga yesterday? Yeah, it was really bad. But guess what would make it really worse is if you didn't have Jair Brown because you can say next man up for anybody, but if the next guy up is a glorified special teamer who's borderline NFL, then you're screwed. But if the next guy up is is a future starter, maybe pro bowler in the NFL, you're not screwed. So it's about knowing the talent. and Like Seattle. Niners play Seattle on, on Thanksgiving, a couple days from now. Uh, Seattle lost Kenneth Walker. I don't know if you watched that game yesterday. He suffered a significant oblique injury that's going to keep him out Thursday night. So it's next man up. Now, if they didn't draft the UCLA kid, Zach Charbonnet, they'd be cooked. But instead, they've got Zach Charbonnet, and Charbonnet, I think, is probably pretty comparable to Kenneth Walker, so they're not cooked. And they're going to fire a significant effort on Thursday night. But if the next guy up was some special team guy who covers, covers kicks, they would be, would be screwed. So next man up sounds good. And uh, next man up. It's about who is the next man up. Well, and, and it's also, it's, it's what did the guy who went down do? I mean, you know, next man, this is probably the wrong year to do it because the next man up in this scenario is Chris Paul, which is a, pretty good scenario still but you know like you take Steph Curry off the Warriors they become like a near non-functional basketball team right 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 and so you know that that it's it's even though the next man up is also going to the Hall of Fame it's still not Steph Curry he doesn't no one does what that guy does no as good as Elijah Mitchell could ever be no one does what Christian McCaffrey does you talk about you know, the slivers that he got through and he gets, goes through those every week. You know, it's, it's the old Vince Lombardi run to daylight. This guy runs to slivers of daylight and he comes out of them and he's remarkable. McCaffrey's like an accordion. He can expand. He can get big. He can, he can narrow himself up to, to get slipped through a crack. He can stiff arm anybody. He can pirouette around you. He can spin his way into the second level. I mean, it, it the guy's just got moves on his moves on his moves on his moves. He's, he's, he's amazing. No one quite runs like him. And it's why he's leading the NFL and rushing for goodness sakes. So um, he is, he's so important to what this team does. This is also not a good next man up example, but I can't think of any other scenario. And before the show comes to its end, Larry, where I'm going to have a chance. I'm just thinking about him right now. I want to bring it up. And I especially want you to watch, and I know you've already rewatched the game, but if you like the sicko, you are watch it a third time right? on the Elijah Mitchell, 16 yard carry around the right end. Don't look at Elijah Mitchell. Don't look at anybody else except for Charlie Warner. Charlie Warner had a hell of a game yesterday. He didn't have just a good block. He had two good blocks on the same play. He wiped a guy out and rubbed another guy out on the same play. 
And I even went back. I'm like, 80. And I'm like, who is that? That's not Kittle. Who's 89? I'm like, is that Dwelly or Warner? Who who that's who is that? That guy just Warner is a very good blocker. And that's a great point, Damon, by you, because you look at the box score, you're not going to find Charlie Warner. Not a target. His name's not in it. You you and I are in that box score as much as he's in that box score. Um, but guess what? The guy is a tenacious you know, lock on blocker. And he doesn't have, he doesn't blow you up and or blow guys out of the hole. It's not like he's like some monster physical. He's just a tenacious, never going to let go. Um, you know, once he clamps on, he's going to keep driving those legs. And if you turn, he'll turn with you. And he's just a drive blocking menace. And you're right. I mean, he's, he has made a and I'm going to talk to him later this week. He has made a significant, step forward as a consistent blocking force. You tell and him I, cousin, I, cousin I, Bruce, he saw him. You tell him cousin Bruce, he saw him. Like, I, my, my boy, Damon was all over that play. You were fantastic on that play. They went double tight ends a lot. I, I'd have to count how many times they had the two tight end formation out there or personnel grouping out there. But um, I thought, I felt like I saw two tight ends, at least 15 plays. Um, and maybe, maybe that number is inflated, but it seemed like him and Warner or him and Kittle were out there together yeah. a lot. And Warner is a very good blocker. Well, and look, this is a guy who, you know, well, look at what Hassan Reddick did it to him. And then look, he missed a block on Hassan Reddick. Have you watched the Eagles? There are a lot of dudes who miss blocks on. No, Hassan he didn't Reddick. miss that block. That wasn't him. You're talking about, um, uh, the, the kid from Wisconsin, um, uh, maybe the chat remembers what was the guy's name? For Wisconsin, the tight end, um, who who got you talking about the one that caused Brock to get hurt? Yeah, yeah, that wasn't Charlie. That was um, Justin, uh, whatever. Uh, guys in the chat, who's the guy? Who was the tight end who missed the block in the NFC uh, title game last year from Wisconsin? Kraft? Croft, 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 Tyler Croft, Tyler Croft. Okay, thank you, Malik M. By the way, thank Tyler you. Croft. That's a beautiful part about the chat. The chat's so freaking knowledgeable. Look at all the people in the chat. Croft, 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 Croft Tyler Croft, Croft, Tyler Croft. Croft spelt like six different ways. We got Croft with yeah, exactly. A, Croft with a C, Croft with a Z. We got a lot of Crofts out there. A lot but, of Crofts. Nice job, chat room. Nice that job. Is a, seriously, that, that is <laughs> yeah. outstanding <laughs> chat. I mean, outstanding. Like chat, Larry, I wish we could hit a like and subscribe to the I chat. Mean, like, nice job. Got, we got a thousand people plus in the house for this show this morning. And the chat is just absolutely locked in. Howard Damon and Larry. Yeah. But that eh. chat, that chat, <laughs> their chat is fucking dominant. Kicking ass, man. It really was. Anyways, Charlie Warner. Uh, nice, nice game. Charlie Warner. Yes, we probably call. talked a little bit too much about Charlie Warner as it is right now, but I thought he had a really good game. Uh, Chase Young and Nick Bosa. This is a reawakened line. We saw another set. Look, don't be surprised when these Eric Armstead sacks start piling up on each other. That's coming. You can just feel it, right? Yeah, Armstead. Armstead. Armstead's had a really good year. Yes. He He's had a very good year. He's so understated, too. He had three tackles, two solo. He had one sack. He had a tackle for a loss. He had two hits on the quarterback. Uh, the Niners only got eight hits on the quarterback all day. He had two of them. Uh, Bosa had three. Um, Greenlaw got one. Chase Young had one. And Isaiah Oliver had one. 